All right, everybody joining me now on the cover two is Hudson Mason, former Georgia quarterback. You can check him out on the cheap seats from 12 to 3 p.m. Eastern time on Atlanta Sports X and color analyst over on ESPN3. Uh, Hudson, and once again, thanks for coming on the show on Tulsa Football. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. All right, great to have you on. Like I could tell all fair, it's been a while since we last spoke. And um, I guess I wanted to start off, you know, not with Georgia football. Just wanted to kind of talk about your experience and um, what you thought about your time this during the spring of calling the Alliance games for the uh, Atlanta Legends on the radio. Uh, it was a fun experience, man. I, uh, you know, I remember uh, it was just a short time ago as a player when I had gotten cut by the Redskins and uh, was up in the CFL and and uh, trying to just continue pursuing the dream. And there was never anything in terms of a developmental league or like a minor league system for the NFL. That's always just when you get cut, you either go play in Canada or you hang it up. And so uh, I was I was happy to see another league develop or come to fruition for a lot of guys out there that still chase the dream and still have the itch to play. And I can tell you firsthand, I, I didn't see the the falling out uh, coming at all. We were traveling with the teams. Everything was very, um, very nicely done, uh, top of the line, everything, charter flights, nice hotels, um, good experiences with the uh, team management, team president, everything like that. And so – it came as a surprise to me when we got the notification that the league was folding and that Tom Dundon, the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, was pretty much just taking his ball and going home. Yeah, I was kind of one of those when he first started that rumor, first got out. I think it was the week before those final games. I thought that was maybe him posturing and just kind of, you know, idle threats. He wasn't really going to do it. So, and I've, as I've read a lot of stuff on, you know, the downfall or, you know, the folding of the Alliance of American football, I, I was shocked. And it seemed like a lot of players were as well. They didn't actually see it coming. Yeah. Uh, from talking to some players, I have a, a couple of former teammates that played on the Atlanta team. And so I talked with them on the plane and talked with them on the bus. And that seems to have been their uh, impression as well. They, um, you know, they have one little mishap where they didn't get paid one week. And Charlie Ebersol said that it was because of changing of uh, payment companies. Uh, but other than that, it sounded like they're getting treated well, getting paid pretty well. And um, you know, I'm I'm. There was a report out this week that uh, Tom Dundon is is suing. You know, he pledged up to two hundred fifty million dollars, and he's suing to try to get back about seventy million of it that he pledged. But. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's unfortunate, you know, whether or not you can talk about the details of – and, look, I don't know all the details. I don't think anybody will ever know all the details. But, um, you know, I feel bad for the players and the coaches. There are a lot of a lot of really good players. I think some of them got went on to get second opportunities in the NFL, which is what that league was designed to do. Um, I just think the unfortunate part about it is – and we'll see with the XFL, if the XFL can last longer than the AF. Uh, but – you know, I, I would like to see the NFL, the NFLPA, and whoever else out there, maybe it's the XFL, come to an agreement on a way that they can cohesively work and make a developmental league work. Because I think there's a market for it when football is not going on in the spring. And, you know, baseball has the minor league system, and NBA has G League, and, and they have, you know, basketball overseas. 
but football has nothing, and it's really uh, it's unfair, and it's a it's a shame that players get cut from the NFL, and at 23, 24 years old, they still have the itch to pursue a dream, and there's no avenue to do it. Yeah, because see, I even remember as far back as NFL Europe, and you know, if you look back at Dadley, yeah. the players that came out—not just quarterbacks, just several players, coaches, even analysts—Troy Aikman started his broadcasting career in NFL Europe. It's a great, you know, platform for anybody with involved with football referees yeah. uh, to get developed. And uh, I mean, do you think a spring professional league can work long term if done correctly? Well, I think the the big if is the NFLPA. You know. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I. I don't personally believe that these spring leagues need NFL players on them. Uh, I mean, you know, I think if you ask ten people, maybe ten different people would have a different opinion. But some people have said that oh, you need players with name recognition. I don't think you need that. The AAF showed with its ratings, and remember the rate. The AAF was going on at a time where March Madness was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, NBA was the kind of heating up toward getting closer to the playoffs. So there were some other competitors out there uh, and the AF had better ratings every single weekend. So it had nothing to do with lack of eyeballs on it, uh, which tells me that, you know, the players that they had playing in it were, uh, were good enough. They're good quality players. And most of them, I think the number was like 80 something percent of them had played or signed an NFL contract at some point. So I think this just comes down to if, you know whether it's Vince McMahon, the XFL, or whoever down the road, it's it's somehow maybe in the new collective bargaining agreement after it ends this year in the NFL, um, because the players, you know, the NFL doesn't want to want to play for the insurance and the health care and, and paying more for these players, so it's convoluted and it's it's uh, it's complicated. But you know, the NFLPA has got to uh, to be nimble and, and be flexible too. Almost definitely, and, and I, fe- I felt bad for players because I felt bad one reason he didn't get to finish the season. I went to two of the games. I was at the last game between Birmingham and Atlanta, and you know, just as a fan in stands, it was a, it was a good atmosphere. You can tell most yeah. cities was good, and it was it was good football. It wasn't bad football, so it, that was just a the sad thing for me. You know, I know, you know for you as someone that played, you always you know finish, and they didn't get a chance to finish. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the unfortunate part. I mean, the team in Texas had they were averaging thirty thousand fans. I mean, that's unbelievable for a startup, mm-hmm. uh, year one inaugural football league. The Atlanta wasn't doing phenomenal. I mean, they would get probably three to five thousand uh, fans a game down there at Old Turner Field. Uh, but you know, Johnny Manziel was playing in it, and formed you know Aaron Murray, great quarterback. Uh, there were a lot of players that. Uh, the average fan would recognize. So, you know, the Alabama team had, I think, four out of the five offensive linemen were from Alabama. Mm-hmm. So, uh, a lot of Auburn players. So, uh, just too bad. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. And, uh, you know, I want to transition over to Georgia football this upcoming season. And uh, I just want to lead with, with this and kind of lead with Jake Fromm a little bit. You know, all off season, you know, we hear about Tua and, you know, Trevor Lawrence being the best quarterback, Justin Herbert a little bit, and Oregon. I mean, I don't think maybe Jake Fromm is getting a little disrespected as we're going into the season, but you think he doesn't get quite the attention that he maybe deserves? Yeah, I think part of that, uh, the big part of it is he just doesn't put up the gaudy Heisman-type numbers. 
And so he doesn't get talked a lot about it. And the fact is, is that George has been running back you the past couple of years. Uh, been absolutely loaded at the running back position. DeAndre Swift coming back, Elijah Holyfield, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle. So George has always been, or the quarterback position has always been kind of outshined by the stellar running backs that they have. Do I expect that to change this year? No, not so much. Um, and I think Jake Crom knows that. I've had some people ask me about Jake Crom's Heisman uh, expectations, and you know I'm not expecting Jake Crom to win the Heisman. And some people look at me and they, you know, they they uh, think I'm slandering the guy, and I'm not. Um, I, I I honestly think that just because Jake Crom doesn't win the Heisman or maybe he won't be top four or be in New York City. Uh, that has nothing to do, and that's not an indictment on how well Georgia can be this year. We've seen that in the past. As long as J- Jake Crom is the normal Jake Crom and he takes care of the football and you know he'll average, I don't know, right around 200, 230 uh, yards per game, and he'll have a high completion percentage, and he's super efficient at Georgia – has got two good running backs coming back this year. They've got a, a stellar offensive line. Four out of the five guys on the offensive line will probably be top 100 prospects next year in the in the NFL draft. And their defense should be pretty strong. So they're going to be a favorite. They just lost one of their probably their best receiver coming into this year, JJ Holloman, who was kicked off the team this week for a domestic violence incident. But uh, they've got to find some guys at the receiver position for sure. I think that's the biggest question mark. Yeah, and that's where I was about to go with that. It, you know, at the receiver position, and I know there's there's talent there, obviously. But when you lose, you know, your top five pass catchers from last year, you know, four went NFL, and you talk about the Holloman situation there. So, what are your expectations out of the receivers and as someone that's played position? How how is it creating that a cohesiveness with basically a new receiving core almost? Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, I remember back in 2014, we didn't have Malcolm Mitchell for the first half of the season. He tore his ACL against Clemson in 2013, and rehab didn't go great for him, and so he was out longer than expected. And Georgia doesn't have a a number one receiver right now. They don't. You mentioned that Georgia lost its top five pass catchers last year. Isaac Nada tied in one of them. Georgia's leading receiver coming back is DeAndre Swift, and he plays running back. So now J.J. Holloman's gone. They've got some you know, five-star incoming freshman receivers that are going to have to play. Demetrius Robertson, who's a transfer from Cal, has got to learn the playbook. He, uh, he was expected to have a role last year, and for whatever reason, I think part of it was he didn't learn the playbook. So he didn't get on the field. We didn't see any of him. Uh, but they're going to be searching. And I know Jake Fromm right now is – is probably thinking, you know, who's going to be my go-to target? You know, J.J. Holloman was like a big mattress running across the field. He's about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, long arms. Jake Fromm loved to go to him on third down. They really, really made that back shoulder ball a, uh, a routine thing and made it look easy. And so he's going to have to develop some chemistry with some new guys. Matt Landers, another one. Just a lot of unproven guys at the receiver position, and there's not – not much production coming back at the receiver position. And what concerns me isn't, you know, the first three games of the year where Georgia opens up with Vandy and Arkansas State and there's another cupcake team thrown in there and they get Notre Dame September 21st, uh, which will be a big game for them. But it's really the conference play. You know, when you start to play the Tennessees and the Floridas and they've got good DBs, on the other side, you know what they're going to do? They're going to walk up in your face and they're going to press you and they're going to say, okay, win versus man. 
And if you don't have receivers that can win in the SEC versus press man, uh, you know, as good as Georgia's offensive line is going to be this year, no offensive line can protect for 10 seconds. So um, I think it went from being, you know, a month ago, a, you know, even two, three months ago, back to the spring game, the receiver position, I was looking at it as, oh, uh, yeah, that, that, uh, that's a question mark to it now being an Achilles heel where it's going to stick out and stick out quickly uh, unless they – unless some guys just end up doing some things for Georgia this year that we just kind of – they kind of come out of the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you know, when you look at this upcoming season for Georgia, I mean, I know a lot of Georgia fans are probably just, you know, wanting to skip ahead and try to get to Atlanta again get that third shot at Alabama. But you look at the schedule for Georgia, it's a pretty tough one. You know, you mentioned they got the game against Notre Dame when they come to Athens. Uh, they got Florida on the schedule, as always. You got A&M this year and, of course, Auburn's there. So getting to Atlanta – you know they should get there, but it's going to be a challenge getting through all them games. It's it is. You're exactly right. It's a it's a gauntlet of a schedule, just like it is every year. I think the only difference this year is you mentioned Texas A and M. That's going to be a tough opponent, and you know maybe if you're lucky, every once in a while you could get a I don't even dare call it a cupcake game because there's real really no such thing as a cupcake game as a crossover game in the SEC. But maybe you'd get lucky and catch Arkansas right now as they're down and rebuilding or Ole Miss as they're trying to get back to uh, where they know they can be. But to get Texas A&M and Auburn, that's a, that's tough two games to, to cross over. And then you get Notre Dame out of conference and then the rest of the uh, SECE. So, you know, in this time of year, when we talk about prognostications and we talk about, oh, can this team do this and that, nobody ever takes into consideration injuries. And that that can derail a team quicker than anything else, and so Georgia's going to. They, Georgia really cannot afford to to get plagued by the injury bug this year, especially at the receiver position. But the quarterback position, and and uh, you know we haven't even talked about the defensive side of the ball either. Yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, talking about quarterback, you know, I want to get your opinion on this because you know, and you know, we talked about with. Tua and Trevor Lawrence at Nationwide being the best two, but in SEC, it's obvious. It's Tua and it's Jake Fromm. Just when you look at the conference as a whole, who's that third quarterback in your opinion? I think Joe Burrow's got a chance to uh, really take off this year. I thought last year they were handcuffed offensively, even though he wasn't a freshman. He was basically a freshman in that LSU Stevens Minger offense. And so I think Felipe Franks is another name that, you know, I believe, you know, Felipe Franks was an underclass. I can't remember if Felipe is going to be a junior or senior this year, uh, but it seems like he's been there forever. Mm-hmm. And I called the <laughs> Mich- I called the, the Michigan-Florida Bowl game on radio, and it was a great game for, for Felipe. And, you know, he's a guy that I've seen grown up. I think Felipe is a guy that is a product of finally having some consistency uh, by his coaches. You know, he's finally got – a system that he can learn and he's not worried about a coach leaving or a coach getting fired or having to learn a new system and learn new verbiage. I think Dan Mullen is going to do a really, really good job and I'd expect big things out of Felipe Franks uh, year two. You know, is it going to be Heisman? No. Is it going to be an All-American? Probably not. Uh, But if you go back and look at Felipe's numbers last year for Florida, they were much better than you would think in in really the second half of the season for Florida and for him as a quarterback he took off and he made huge strides. So I think Joe Burrow, going back to him at LSU, he's got a chance. Uh, I'm interested to see what that offense is going to look like. They brought in a 
a coach from the New Orleans Saints to try to diversify that offense, um, make it a little bit more spread-ish, up-tempo-ish, a little bit more modern-day college football. But uh, LSU, I'm sure, will still have that run-it-down-your-throat element to their offense that they uh, have always been known for. So it'll be cool to see kind of the training wheels taken off of the Joe Burrow bike, so to speak, and uh, if he can become – you know, more of a not so much a game manager and more of a guy that uh, can win games with his right arm. Most definitely, I'm I'm intrigued with what they can do at LSU if that offense because they got the tools. Uh, it should be interesting. You know, circle it back to Georgia. You know, lastly on them uh, as we sit here on June 26. What is probably your prediction or your thoughts for the team this upcoming season? Uh, my prediction is I think Georgia will get back to Atlanta. Uh, I do not think it will be an easy, smooth-sailing road, though, um, especially with the loss of J.J. Holloman. You know, I talked on our – or we talked about this on our radio show today, should Georgia f- footballs and their fans' uh, expectations be uh, tampered or tempered now that uh, J.J.'s left? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime you lose one of your best players on your team, uh, how can you not – have uh, different expectations and so I could see Georgia very much losing a game to Florida this year uh, I think Florida is going to be much improved um, I don't know about Tennessee I think Tennessee's making strides Jeremy Pruitt's doing some great things he's got a lot of coaches on his staff that I'm familiar with in my Georgia days and uh, he's put together a heck of a staff that is lethal in the recruiting trail I don't know if uh, I have as much faith in Jared Garantano yet. They've got a new offensive coordinator in Jim Chaney. Uh, so I still think there'll be some, um, just some learning moments, some, some uh, tough moments this year for the Vols. Uh, but I think Florida's the team that could surprise and jump up on people in the East and jump up on Georgia. And, and it, it, I don't want I'm not going to say that they'll, they will, uh, win the East, but they could kind of be that that bump in the road for Georgia in the middle of the year. Uh, but I ultimately think Georgia gets back to to playing against Alabama. All right, all right. I'm same boat. I'm just Alabama, Georgia. That's that's my thing as well. Um, and uh, before I let you go, I told you this all fair. This is what I do at the end of some of my interviews. But uh, are you ready for five questions? Let's do it, man. It's the who, what, where, when, why, and how. Let's find out what's on the mind of today's guest with five questions on the Cover 2 Football Report. All right, number one, who was your favorite quarterback growing up? Oh, no doubt it was Peyton Manning. Uh, I still feel like Peyton Manning is my favorite quarterback, and unfortunately I don't get to watch him anymore. Uh, But just from his days at Tennessee uh, to his days with the Colts, and then in his latter part of his career with the Denver Broncos, I there was nothing like watching uh, the sheriff behind center. And I was fortunate enough to get invited to the Manning camp uh, as a counselor in my senior year at Georgia. And uh, that was a, a special moment to get out there and, and hang out with the Mannings and get to know them personally. And, uh, man, the coolest part is just as a, as a football junkie to be able to ask them questions and, and sit with them in the film room boy oh boy was that cool and memory of a lifetime to uh to be able to just i I don't care if you sing you play an instrument what you do for a living when you get a chance to hang out with the best to ever do it in your profession that's uh that's pretty special oh that's awesome yeah i'm I'm sure i'm sure it was being around him was amazing um number two 
most memorable game at any level, but your most memorable game? Wow. Uh, good or bad? <laughs> <laughs> hey, either way, either way. Which way, way you want to go with it. Oh, man. Um, let's see if I can give you one of both. Most memorable, best game. Um, man, why do I have so many bad ones coming to my mind first? <laughs> uh, it's funny. You always remember the bad ones before you remember the good ones. Um, I would say a good one. Uh, probably my senior year, we beat Clemson at home to start the season. Clemson came in, I believe, ranked top ten. I know we were ranked top ten, if not top five, and beat Clemson pretty good. Man, they had some good players on that team. They had Vic Beasley, Grady Jarrett. Um, Deshaun Watson was a true freshman. He played a little bit in that game. Um, And so that was a great home atmosphere. It was my first uh, start as a senior uh, and a great way to kick off the season under under and between the hedges and under the lights. Uh, A bad memory – for some reason, there's two coming to my mind. Uh, Jordan Hare Stadium, Auburn, the last throw of the game, the Hail Mary, Nick Marshall, where it got tipped up, and uh, I can't remember who caught it for Auburn on the last play. And then two weeks later, they had to kick six, return for a touchdown. So they had they had something magical in their Wheaties that year. Uh, <laughs> and then the the Alabama game, 2012 SEC championship game, where we drove the field down with uh, about 12 seconds left and didn't call timeout the ball got tipped and landed in Chris Conley's hand and he got tackled on the two so that would have that would have cemented our uh our opportunity to go to the national championship and play I think uh Notre Dame that year so that was uh that was a little good bad and ugly <laughs> all right uh at number three uh and as you transitioned out of your football career you went into media but if you hadn't went into the media what do you think you'd be doing I think I'd be coaching, man. I I knew pretty quickly when my playing days were over that uh, the good Lord I feel like put me on this earth to uh, to be in, get, to be involved with the game of football. And you know, I know that a lot of guys once they get away from the game, they don't really want to get back involved. And that was never me. I've always had the itch to to be around the game. I've you know helped out just for fun locally. I, you know, I coached college football before I got into broadcasting. I started co- coaching first. I coached high school ball in South Georgia at Colco County for rush probes. And then uh, I got on uh, coaching college at Georgia state uh, under Trent miles staff. And then we were let go. And then I got this awesome opportunity to, to do kind of the broadcasting side of, of uh, the profession. And I uh, basically said, you know, I can always go coach. Here's a great opportunity. Let's, Let's see where this leads, and I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Got my first opportunity last year to call a game for SEC Network and and been calling games with ESPN for the past three years. So um, I'm excited about where uh, the path is going. We'll see. Uh, hopefully it continues to trend upward, but I think somehow, some way, I'll always be involved with the game of football, whether it's coaching or talking about it. Okay, uh, number four, just give me uh, your thoughts on football in Canada. Yeah. Football in Canada, uh, cold. It can be miserable at times. Uh, <laughs> confusing. The the, the the CFL game is very very tough to learn. Uh, for those people that don't know, it's a twelve man football. So there's an extra man, an extra receiver, and an extra DB. 
And I remember my first conversation with my first offensive coordinator. I was playing for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I had just gotten into town. First meeting, he said, take everything you've learned in American football and forget it. And I was like, wow, that's deep. Uh, and, yeah, I kind of kind of just laughed at him in the back of my head. And over time, I always remember that statement. And he was right. You know, the game is just so different. They play different coverages. It's just totally different with the extra man on the field. And so I think that's why a lot of times you see or you don't see the American quarterback go up there and have that instant success. Uh, and come back to the NFL because it just takes time to learn the game, and that learning curve is uh, pretty steep. Yeah, I remember for a time I watched it on TV when I saw the guys running up at the line of scrimmage. Like, where I was like, what is this, and how can the yeah. defensive back even guard anybody like that? So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's a crazy game we're just watching on TV. But uh, And finally, at number five, this, of course, is the 150th anniversary of college football. And just, you know, as we are in that uh-huh. 150 years, uh, what does college football mean to you? Man, I, I don't think there's anything comparable to it uh, in the world in terms of sports and just the way college football, and I, and I understand it's not like this everywhere across the country, but growing up in the South, uh, people laugh and they joke and they say, you know, it's a religion, and uh, you say that lighthearted, but it is. And, it, you know, just so many memories, It's it's really beyond football. And I was – blessed enough to have the opportunity to run out of a tunnel in front of 90,000. I mean, that is one of the coolest moments Um, besides, you know, I don't have any kids and uh, if my wife was here, she'd, she'd make sure I said besides getting married, but uh, (laughs) uh, I'm telling you, man, there is nothing like uh, a Saturday night or a Saturday afternoon, whatever your university is, whatever your team is uh, being in that stadium and just so many of the people around here, like I was saying, it's bigger than football. You grow up, there's family members attached to it. You, you talk about generations of season ticket holders that pass down from grandkids to grandkids to grandkids, different lineages, so many memories. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I talk to that, you know, season ticket, third generation season ticket holders that started with their grandfather and passed all the way down. And they, you know, my granddad passed away last year, but he was a huge Georgia fan. So, um, it's, uh, I'm lucky to have, uh, two perspectives from it. One as a player and then, you know, one really three as a, as a fan kind of now, and then also as a broadcast member, but, um, it's, it's special. I think it's, uh, um, I know I've got a little bit of a Homer opinion, but I think it's the most fun and engaging and unique sport out there. Yeah, I'll say this, and, and I'm a big fan of all forms of football, but there's just nothing like college football Saturdays. It's, you start with game day, and if you get the chance to watch it all day, it's, it's just, it's you know, and it's it's just an event all day long. It's college football Saturdays are just, they're just different. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I agree with you 100% there. And uh, Hudson, I appreciate you taking the time out and coming on the show this week and, you know, talk well, AAF, uh, Georgia football, and doing five questions there. And if the listeners want to follow you online, where can they find you? Uh, on Twitter at HMason14, on Instagram at, Mason, at HMason14, and, uh, of course, uh, the old sports radio show I do every day at Atlanta Sports X. And uh, I appreciate you having me on, man, anytime. Right, thank you. Thank you, and I look forward to uh, talking to you again sometime down the road. All righty. Take care.